Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. Before we get going, want to remind everybody, 3.30 Saturday, Holy Grail Banks. Be there as the number seven Cincinnati Bearcats take on the UCF Knights. No, you're going to say it, say it right. Central Florida. Central Florida night. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize you were part of the, the night mafia. No, they hate it being called Central. It's really the <laughs> greater Orlando community college. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Obviously with, with everything going on, social distancing, distancing is again, uh, very important. So get there early to ensure that you get a spot and, Check it out. It's it's going to be, as far as the regular season goes, it's the biggest game of the year, uh, regardless of where Central Florida is. I, I, I agree with Luke Fickle on that, Dave, that since the, the, the formation of the American Athletic Conference, Central Florida has put themselves in position to be uh, kind of considered daddy, if you will, and you got to take that from them. And 100%. We will, 100%. They we still will move get, the needle more than yeah. anybody else. So UC's getting there, right? But I mean, like, even with two what, what, losses, they're right. still, you know, they're getting, they're helping you get a better time slot versus anybody else in the conference. Yeah. So we'll get to that plenty. We got some other stuff to get to. I, we don't need to really discuss ECU, do we? Do we have to talk about? Uh, like Houston's a bitch. Sorry, Dan. You're right. He is. Like, that's all I have to say. When anybody that you heard talk about it that ever played football or covers football said that it was ridiculous that he was mad about that. That's all you need to know. I mean, it, it, it's it, you, it, it's covered very simply. If you want UC to play conservative, you play punt safe. James Smith punts the ball. You fair catch it. And nobody says a word. He came, he was coming after James Smith's kicking foot. Six man pressure to the left side. If you really watch the play, it was it was four Bearcats on six ECU Pirates. If you add Joel DeBlanco in. So they blocked three guys up. Three guys were running free to where James Smith would have been. Well, that's that's so, my that's my thing with this is okay. So he's mad that you see up forty-two to ten late in the third quarter or whatever. It might have even been the fourth quarter. Ran a fake punt. Well, he ran a punt block. So because you see is up by a lot late in the game, are they just supposed to still just punt the ball? Even and not make any into your punt block, right? Even though you're trying to block the punt, right? Like, so sorry, guys. We're because we're winning by a lot. We still have to play it like sportsmen, even though we see what you're trying to do, and we can't make any adjustments to that because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like these, these, this is major, major college football. I don't know, Mike. Houston's salary exactly. He is making a ton of money. All, all of these programs are making a lot of money. Even, they're getting paid to coach a sport. Like, 
grow up, dude. Don't get down 42 to 10 and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And look, there's, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't like unwritten rules and all that, you know, rigmarole that people talk about. But there is a code of sportsmanship, right? Like, if you want sportsmanship extended, then you have to do the same. And doing the same is not trying to run a punt block and then getting pissy because your punt block got detected uh, and, and embarrassed. Well, that's like... Grow up. Shut up. My, my dad and a friend of his coached freshman basketball for a long time and had an insanely good record. And coaches would always get mad at them at the end of games when they would still have their starters in. And my dad would always go, if your starters are in and you're still pressing us to try to get the ball back, I'm not going to put my bench warmers in and have them embarrass themselves. You're getting drilled. It's up to you to be like, okay, I'm going to put my, my backups in and then I'll put my backups in too. But if you're going to keep playing the game, like it's the first five minutes of the game, so are we. Exactly. The other, the, the, the Cameron Young touchdown was awesome. 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 So at that point, uh, the way things are, are, are situated now, um, we've got about, uh, you know, a seven to 10 minute window from the end of the game until uh, post game media starts. Um, and where they, you know, where they have us because of COVID and everything, it's, it, it's pretty good hike to get back to the car. Uh, and I don't operate from the press box. I operate from the field. So uh, over these past three games, it has been quite the luxury that generally with like 90 seconds to go in the game, I'm headed up. And then I'll watch the last minute or two from uh, like right underneath Shank Pavilion. And I'm getting to that point, and all of a sudden, I just hear the crowd erupt. So I walk up to the rail, and there goes Cameron Young. And awesome story, by the way. Came in in 2017 with that class as a walk-on. Blew out his knee. And generally, for a walk-on, that's it, man. Right? Oh, why? Yeah. You're not, you're not rehabbing. Walk, why, why would you go through the rehab, man? And, yeah, you're not rehabbing to come back as a walk-on. But Cameron Young did fully rehabbed his knee, came back last year, um, got back up to speed and has, has been, you know, it's interesting. He, a lot of people have been impressed with Copa Gordowski, Cope, as they call him. I think I pronounced his name right. Um, as like the walk on running back and, and Cameron Young passed him as that, you know, that walk on guy that gets the call and uh i think you saw why because he ran straight away from ecu like they were standing still it was awesome how many like obviously he has two carries in his career one a 12 yarder and one a 75 yard touchdown so he's probably going to go down in history as the per carry running back with the highest per carry average in school history school history how many mac teams could he like legit play for probably quite a few I mean, Probably he had, quite a few. I mean, he had he ran away from those guys. Yeah. Now they were flat footed when he hit the gas. <laughs> Still, like <clears throat> no, he 
when we tell you that running back room is an embarrassment of riches, it, it carries down all the way to the walk-on. Um, that's really, I mean, Des was awesome. The defense did exactly what we thought they would do in taking down ECU's passing attack. Uh, they ran the ECU ran the ball better than expected, but I don't think that's, I think they were okay. Not that they we're okay with giving up 200 yards rushing, but I think they were okay. If you're going to try to move the ball on the ground on us all night, okay. Good luck. Okay, so Good that, luck. like, the two things that jumped out, the two things that jumped out to me from that game were obviously the Mike Houston thing about the block punt, but did it seem like to you they were literally trying to just burn the clock in the second half? They they didn't want the smoke. They ran. <laughs> they were down thirty and ran the ball more than twice as many times as they threw it. I've never seen a team's spirit broken as quickly as ECU's at the end of the the first last half. five minutes of the first half. It was like yeah. you thought you were gonna like kind of be close for a little bit, and I mean they they cut it to twenty one ten. Um, I think that was back-to-back scoring drives for them, right? Because they had the, yeah. the quick touchdown drive. Mm-hmm. Then they come back with a field goal. All Outside of a sudden, kick. yeah, all of a sudden you feel like maybe you're you're figuring something out with this defense. Onside kick, great play by by Brian Cook um, to come up and, and sniff it out and sacrifice his body because he almost hit his head popped off uh, with the targeting. And then touchdown on one play, which – Right. Was that the best throw Des has ever made as a Bearcat? That was a laser to, up, to Trey Tucker. It's up there. That's for sure. Yeah. The throw to Jordan Jones down the sideline was way up there as well. Um, he's Talk about a, a turnaround from yeah. a month ago. <laughs> the, the narrative one month later is amazing. Um, and then interception quick touchdown drive and 21 10 is now 35 10 and they couldn't get to 35 in the second half. If you see played the walk-ons, the scout team. Oh no. Maybe if they had like seven, they played 11 on seven. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I don't have a whole lot. Like it was, it was what you're supposed to do to ECU on a Friday night. Yeah. I mean, they're terrible. We're good. That's what happens. Right. Um, let's get to the news of the week. I was going to spend a lot of time talking about Luke last night, uh, discussing roundabout the potential of playing BCU or BYU. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get to that here in a little bit, but then I got, I got some thoughts on that one. Okay. We'll get to that here shortly. This might buckle up. This might be an extended, (laughs) I I got a, I got a hard time thinking we're going to get this one in, in an hour. Probably not. Uh, let's get to. What came out today, this is a story that Dave can confirm I was tipped off to eh, five, six weeks ago. Um, It was uh, getting cooperation from UC on verification of this story was not easy. Uh, So that's why I unfortunately was unable to completely verify things and run with it, which um, I might have been a little mad when it first came out. That's life in the reporter business when you're working on something and end up getting scooped and uh, you get a little, get a little angry, might've been a little angry, but I, I, you know, that, that passes pretty quickly as you start to dig in and, and, 
you know, really get a feel for the stuff that was unknown because I hadn't seen uh, the, the termination of the contract and what the new uh, path forward was. The more and more you dig into it, um, I think it comes off as something that was advantageous for both sides, both Under Armour and Cincinnati, and kind of was a no-brainer situation um, looking at what Cincinnati needs right now, what Under Armour uh, is trying to accomplish going forward. Uh, it feels like something where this marriage wasn't going to last beyond 2025 anyway. And this was probably the, the best way for both sides to get kind of what they wanted out of what was left of this deal. Yeah. Under Armour is actively trying to get out of whatever you want to call it. Sponsoring at college uh, athletic programs. Not completely, but they well, the ones that they've paid a lot of money to they're trying to yeah. get out of those deals uh they, they're, they're their business in, in a lawsuit with ucla because yeah. they did not go about it the way they did with uc they basically just tried to end it immediately cut ties <laughs> they, completely they tried to break up via text with with ucla <laughs> but just their business is not good right now they've overextended themselves and i think the vast, if you if you gave this option to the vast majority of athletic departments right now, I'm pretty sure they would do what UC did, because they yeah, here, most of them need the cash up front. Yeah, and they know that whether it's it it won't be in this case, but whether it's a restructuring, re-signing down the road or with a new vendor, like it's it's not like they're not going to have uniforms. So they get, right. the cash up front they get the cash up front that they need because of, you know, a myriad of reasons this year. And then you, you're, you're safe, so to speak, for the next, what is it, three years while you can take your time to vet the market and see where you're going to go in whatever, 2023, 2024. And, you know, nothing really changes from that standpoint. So one, I mean, we knew this the day that it was announced. That was a bad deal for Under Armour when they signed UC for $50 million for 10 years. Like it, it was bad in terms of market value. That is still, to this day, a top 20 contract five years after it was signed. Yeah. Normally, you know, when you sign something like that, by the time you get five years down the road, that contract has dropped down sure. the list because everybody's re-upping their contracts and it's an arms race. And I mean, you know that going in, it's still a top 20 or was until today, basically uh, it was still a top 20 contract in the, in the, the, that world. So they overpaid. And this is part of what their problem is. They overpaid for almost everything that they got over the past five, six years. What are you doing? Sorry. These these websites, like 24-7, when you click on a, a page, 
the video all automatically starts playing. <laughs> so I was I was looking um, just from like comparison's sake, looking at Tennessee's contract with Nike, and like yeah, they're I mean, it's a great deal, but UC's isn't that much behind it. Right. Um, so basically, what it does is. Uh, it shifts everything to they'll purchase things from a company called BSN. That company is in Milford or has a, you know, a, a base in Milford. Um, BSN, as it has been explained to me today, uh, I had somebody that works in that, that realm reach out to me. BSN is basically, as it would describe to me, uh, cook sporting goods on extreme steroids. They're a billion dollar company. Um, they bought up a bunch of smaller sporting goods stores and all of those sporting goods stores books of business. Nike and Under Armour don't have the staff to handle the day-to-day operations of college teams. When you think about it, everybody thinks it's just football and basketball, right? No, it's every team, every team on inside that umbrella um, on campus. So they leverage out to team dealers those relationships bsn is coast to coast and they volume by the service to each team so uc is dealing with bsn a lot already um ohio state deals with bsn um they they're heavy in nike uh under armor is using them more and i've heard that adidas uh to keep an eye on them because they'll probably start doing this uh as well so Cincinnati will still deal with Under Armour on uniforms. Now, I don't expect any new designs to come out because, you know, what did somebody, I, I saw in one of Justin's mentions, somebody uh, late de- described it as, it's like breaking up, like it's like getting a divorce from your wife, but then agreeing that you're still going to live together for like three more years. <laughs> while you search for a new yeah while house. you search for a new, cool. a new a new wife they're they're buying their way out of this contract they're not going to dedicate resources to design and things like right. that for a contract that they've bought their way out of so i would i mean you're going to look the uniforms over the next three football seasons are probably going to be the same design probably going to be the same technology but you see will still be serviced by under armor um for you know they had to purchase them but purchasing at a discount game attire. The rest of the stuff, the swag, the gear will come from this BSN company. Which is slightly uh, different than the current structure because all of that was originally coming directly from Under Armour and was included in the cost per year that, of the spend, right? So they could right. actually be saving a little bit of money on, on that element of it, the hundreds and thousands of just t-shirts that the athletic department gives to the 500 and something athletes and shorts and all of that shoes right. shoes for day to day like wearing around campus you know things like that yeah so they there is some opportunity to potentially save a little bit of money there i think another side of it is i um kind of dug through everything and talked to a bunch of people um it's funny it was really difficult to, any, to get anybody to talk to me about this prior to today and then after the story came out, now everybody wants to talk to me. That's weird. Strange. <laughs> but 
but uh, I know one of the things from from knowing people and equipment, they had to have like a, a mass purchase ready for the year uh, in June, where basically they purchased everything at one point in time, whatever they were they felt they were going to need for the year. Obviously, there were some specials and some things that happened throughout the year where they would get you know extra stuff sent. But in terms of like all the swag, that stuff was was purchased in June and then distributed um, season appropriate, you know, throughout the year. This allows them somewhere they that, you know, now that they're not beholden to, to that deal with Under Armour, they can spread that out and not have to spend that entire chunk of money uh, coming out of the budget at one time. It's going to so be a pain I, to try to put that order together at one time. Uh, I've talked to some people that were never very fond of that process in June <laughs> of getting everything ready to go uh, all at once. Wasn't fun um, from my understanding. But the biggest part here is UC gets cash up front as a, a big part of this buyout. Um, Which they'll just give right back to Under Armour, but it's... Well, they'll give back to Under Armour over time. Yes. <laughs> So um, from looking at the agreement that I have in front of me, the first installment of $1.437 million due within 30 days following the full execution of the agreement. Second installment, just under $1.2 million due on or before October 1st, 2020. Third installment, just under $1.2 million by January 1st, 2021. And then another one point, just under 1.2 million, April 1st, 2021. So they've already gotten two payments by the time this yeah. came out. And then July 1st, 2021, October 1st, 2021, and January 1st, 2022. Final installment, April 1st, 2022. So by April 2022, so this April entire- 2nd, April 2nd, 2022 will be the announcement of when the, who the new merchandiser will be. <laughs> Potentially, I, I, you know, as long as as long as retailers are, are as long as they're back in uh, spending mode. Yes. As long as that last check clears, we're like, all right, here's our new deal. <laughs> um, so this, you know, the nine point seven five million dollars will be distributed all by April 1st, 2022, which. As you can imagine. Is far more beneficial to an athletic department looking for revenue than that money spread out until 2025. Well, yeah. If you knew you were going to have to find a new vendor. Like, right. That's, I think that's the important thing here. It was clear. This was not, this was a divorce. The divorce was coming by 2025, no matter what. So, so you get the money within 18 months versus five years four, five years when you knew it was going to end at that point anyway yeah so the more i dig in and it's beneficial for under armor because they, they've wanted to get out of a lot of you know outside of uh extreme tier one situations they've wanted to get out of the the team apparel game 
which part of that, and, and this was brought up to me by, by somebody, um, Under Armour used the, where they, where they messed up. And I, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Cause we haven't discussed this part. They tried to capitalize on team sponsorship as like billboard marketing. Instead of trying to capitalize on it as providing great apparel for fans that then increases around the city. Everybody's got your stuff on. Right. And I don't, I mean, yeah, everybody's walking around in some UC Under Armour stuff, but I never got the sense that this fan base was flooding to buy UC Under Armour gear because it was top notch. Did you? No, I mean, I think it was overpriced. I haven't been as big of like a detractor on it as some. Um, I'm not really necessarily a detractor on it, but I, just I don't, don't think they made that decision easy for consumers, right? I, don't, I just don't think you're going to get like that great of a bump from like a people outside of your main main fan base are not outside of ironically like the jump man gear north carolina I'm trying to think and that might be it like people don't just buy other like i don't just go buy a bunch of other random team stuff because i think that a t-shirt it looks is cool. cool or their uniforms are cool like I I have a few things from teams like that I don't support necessarily like diehard fans, but like you're not going to capitalize on on it that way. You need to, as you said, like make some really good gear, some cool stuff that you, that team's fan want to buy ten different T-shirts. Like I right. have, I probably have you know ballpark ten UC T-shirts. I think two or three of them are Under Armour. Right. So they got into this world without a, a really good plan on like getting the return on their investment, I guess is the way to, to and I like put Under it, Armour right? stuff in general. Like I do too. The vast majority of the golf gear that I wear is Under Armour. Um, but I just, yeah, they just didn't, I don't know. Like, Outside of a couple t-shirts that I thought were cool designs, like the 150-year, you know, design. And Did you ever see the, I, I, the Tower of Strength, Rock of Truth shirt? I don't know. Uh, that, that was a really good one, but I think that was only distributed internally to athletes. I don't know that that was ever even on sale. Yeah. That makes sense. Your best shirts, you get your best <laughs> gear. The stuff that people would actually like, you, you never sold, or they if they sold it, it was like a, a one-time deal for like a whiteout. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't make those red throwbacks available last year. Right. They didn't make the 92. They made a 92 throwback and didn't think that it would sell for basketball. What I mean, the... Like anybody, I'm almost 40. Anybody five years older than me, five, five, 10 years younger than me. I mean, in 92, I was 10, 11. That, that team was like my entire life. Yeah. If, you, if you'd have made those shorts, every person my age would have bought a pair. That was a UC fan. 
they didn't even make enough of like the hoodies and the the gear that went along with it with the old Cincinnati script. Right. That's how you blow a marketing deal. Yeah. Because they could have sold an infinity number of those things. Yeah. Black and t-shirt, instead, white t-shirt, just the yeah. old Cincinnati. See Paul, you know. So a lot of this is Under Armour's doing. Like, make no mistake. Their, their business model is failing. It's not working. Um, they are in finance, major financial trouble. Their stock is down to, what, $12, $13 a share uh, from, what, 40 when at the time this deal, 45 at the time this deal was signed. So they're looking to get out. Okay, get it. I think UC turned this into um, – a very applicable situation for what they needed out of the, if there was going to be a, a splitting of the two sides, I think you see got what they needed. They maintained um, what they, what they didn't do is put themselves in a situation where they were going to be without a sponsor. Do you see, do you see UCLA this weekend? No, they, they had a block over they the under logo. Up. Yeah, on their on their uniforms. <laughs> so that one, like that, was messy. And That's now still, UCLA it's still in court. Yeah, now UCLA is scrambling. Well, it's like so people. I don't know if people fully grasp. Like everybody on Twitter, of course, like oh, this means this, this means that. Like if they were really le- like legitimately leaving Under Armour, they basically would have to announce a new vendor now to have football uniforms for next season. It would be very. It would be right down to the wire. Like that stuff takes a long time. So, um, and I, I'm, yeah. we've obviously we have no idea what happens moving forward. I would just my personal belief is I'd be pretty surprised if it's not Nike, just from the sense of Adidas is also not exactly in it like they were when you see was with them last time they've kind of scaled back on the on the bigger schools as well they're kind of more supportive so is nike yeah i mean but they're still out there much more so than adidas and under armor well Um, i think there's going to be a realization that this next one is not going to be anywhere financially close well i think that's just going to be the way it goes nationwide like these these companies are going to go here's the deal you don't like it have someone else make your uniforms. Like I, I here's here's something interesting, Dave, and you can you can try to figure this out uh, as the podcast goes on. Everybody is talking about Houston uh, being with with Jumpman, right? Find me anywhere a place that that put out those the the financial uh, terms of Houston's deal with Michael Jordan, Jumpman. Like you can't be saying you can't find it anywhere. No, everybody talk. Everybody talks about the the notoriety and the 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 visibility and the prestige that Jumpman brings to Houston basketball. I looked for about 30, 40 minutes this afternoon. I could not find financial terms. The closest thing I could find to financial terms dated back to two thousand fifteen. Houston's deal with Nike, which netted them a whopping five hundred thousand uh, dollars a year. So, 
Nike is not very lucrative. Jumpman is not very lucrative. I, and the other thing I've heard is Jumpman is not interested in having uh, more than one team in a conference. <laughs> so <clears throat> that would seem to be a problem. Yeah. Um, with Houston already being there now, you know, they have the historical ties to Cincinnati. So that could be something Cincinnati, you know, could, could try to play upon, but there's not going to be a whole lot of money like in this market going forward. And it's going to put UC in a pretty tough spot. Like you're not going to get a $5 million a year deal for 10 years. Like they just are coming out of. No. So that makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. That makes it very difficult. But a lot of good, I mean, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff to come out of uh, this discussion today and, and this finally going public um, outside, you know, my sanity was in question there for a little while, but salvaged, I suppose, uh, <laughs> as we got to the bottom of it. Um, any, any final thoughts on, on this specific topic? Any other questions you might have for me and I'll see if I can answer? No, not really. It's, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense once you get more into the details of it. Um, you know. Okay. The other thing is a lot of this is on UC. You got, you got to be better. You, you ha- I, I don't understand how, there wasn't um it seemed like they got caught off guard that this story was came out today yeah there in my opinion there is a disconnect somewhere in how information is packaged and presented to the fan base whether it is this instance where if we knew about this six weeks ago then one is to presume that they knew that we knew six weeks ago. I can tell you they knew that I knew six weeks ago. Wouldn't you six weeks ago have a conversation with us or maybe a Justin Williams and say, this is how we plan on presenting this. Um, We're going to put out a statement that highlights specifically why we're doing this and shows the the fan base the benefits of why we're doing this because there there are benefits yeah but when you allow someone from baltimore at their at their business journal to break the story with no preparation you look like you've been caught with your pants down when you have to put out a statement because everybody in Cincinnati's talking about it because it's a huge deal when your apparel broker and you go into agreement to end the relationship. And it's to me, it's very similar to what I believe has been a lack of communication with the fan base during the football season on not just if there were going to be fans or not, but how we're going to engage a fan base that is not going to be allowed to go to games. How, what creative and prosperous revenue streams are we coming up with 
to make, I don't know, make some money. Like we're see, we saw just in our city alone, the Bengals and the Reds in a matter of probably weeks put together things for cardboard cutouts of fans in stands. Why was that not an option for the, our football team? Now it looks like it's going to be for our basketball team, but you probably had a pretty good idea that at least for some portion of this season that you were not going to fill all of Nippert Stadium. So even if you had held out hope that there would be fans at some point, there would be a section that you could have sold cutouts of fans or however you wanted to do it. And then once you got to the point where we had several either road game or one road game, it turned out to be, but it was supposed to be two road games and a bye week and you come back for the Memphis game and we still don't have any direction on what's going to happen. It just gets a little frustrating that there's like, that we're sitting there one week before the Memphis game and nobody has said boo about if there were going to be fans or not. And then when they say there's not going to be fans, there's no follow-up to, hey guys, we're sorry we can't have fans, but look, here's what we're going to do. Like that couldn't have been figured out in August for October. And you want me to give you my money and hold it until next year. See, this is, this is where we like, our two perspectives are, uh, and, I, and I'm not saying I disagree with you at all, but you see things from a fan perspective that I don't. Because I've been doing this so long now that, like, you know, my, my, my view of things is different, right? Because right. I'm. But that's good. I, like, yeah, no, it's good. It, yeah. So that's why I, 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 I like your opinion on that stuff because you present a side of things that relates to fans that I, I just isn't in my brain anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's that kind of stuff was done all around the country and we saw them lag here and we saw they raised what almost $70,000 with the, the virtual sellout yeah. of the ECU game. Well, if, if you could have done that for Memphis and, uh yeah well, why couldn't you have done that for some form of and maybe it's not the exact same and it's maybe maybe you do a bigger version for, for senior, senior day yeah why couldn't you have done something for each game doesn't that i mean you, you potentially left what a hundred thousand dollars on the table i mean what if you just got ten thousand dollars from the other five games and then you got a hundred almost a hundred thousand dollars from senior day yeah it is, and hopefully it's something. Um, and and I, I say all this knowing full well that. They're understaffed. They're understaffed. Positions have been cut. You know, people are, are doing more. Their job is more than it's ever been. But that's almost more of a reason to just do I'm not saying anything, but like get creative and think out of the box, and, right? And figure some stuff out. Like, I can't be sitting here and you and I have these conversations and we, we're just like talking off the cuff, coming up with things. Like, I can't be the only, we can't be the only people that are coming up with ideas to try. Should they zoom us into the meetings? No, they probably shouldn't. <laughs> we're being honest. But, 
but we have ideas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but it just, it like, for, but from a fan, like, uh, cause yes, I work with you and I air quotes cover the team. I don't, you know, not to any level that like you or Brent actually like go, I, I go as a fan. So I have a different perspective. Like I help cover the team, but I go as a fan. We know this. I go at tailgate. I go to the game. I don't like, I'm a fan that helped you run the website. And I feel like I speak for a lot of people that are in similar situations to me. And you want to, they want us to do these things. And I think they're great ideas. And frankly, I wish I could be, but you know, being out of work, you just, it's not something that you're able to do, but like, you got to give me something back. Like you have to keep, like when you tell me I can't go to the game, which is whatever, that's your decision. But then for the five games before senior day, the only thing I, and I could be wrong, the only thing I know about was like you could do some virtual thing where they would like show you celebrating or whatever on the scoreboard. Right. Why, why was that the only option for two months until last week? What the hell? We got we got something breaking a little bit that I think we could talk about. Oh, we do. CFP Executive Director Bill Hancock told the Athletic that the management committee agreed not to place a replacement team in the playoff. That means if there's an outbreak and somebody is out of the semifinal, then it's then they're not putting the fifth place team in place of them. So, like that team that was supposed to play just automatically goes to gets, the gets a buy. Yeah, gets a buy. I guess. I like it. Keep, keep, keep your kids locked up, guys. <laughs> if you get if you get picked, you bet nobody's going anywhere. So are they gonna are they gonna delay the game until that team is able to come back? Are, you're gonna push two weeks of you're gonna push the playoffs back two weeks. I guess. I mean, I kind of agree with that, honestly. Like, it might really? screw UC over. Like, say we're fifth and the fourth-place team can't play when the tournament was supposed to happen. I don't really think that they should be like, well, sorry. UC, you haven't been practicing for hey, a month. You're in. <laughs> hey, you're out. Sorry, you're out. Like, Should have been, been better on your protocols. I uh, Kick rocks. I, I kind of don't have a problem with that at first, at first, you know, look. All right. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that then. Uh, BYU. Luke Fickle last night on his radio show was asked by a caller if there was a chance that UC and BYU could end up playing before the end of the regular season. Um, here's my, like, here was my initial live reaction as Luke was answering and basically said it's 2020 anything's possible that's a long shot million to one type thing but he didn't close the door um I have known Luke Fickle for four years now I have never known him to just willy-nilly throw something out there like that that he hasn't already uh carefully considered correct yeah he is he is very calculated like 
working from the inside and knowing things that aren't public, there's a whole lot of your, if you're into like the, the Easter egg thing, if you go back after the fact and watch his press conferences and listen to the way he answers things, he gives you plenty of answers that you didn't know he was giving you uh, before the fact, right? right? It's all very calculated. It's all very planned. Uh, do I think they schedule BYU this year? No. Do I think it was interesting that Luke Fickle didn't go about it from the perspective of our goal right now is to win an AAC championship. That's what our focus is. And um, once we, you know, if we can accomplish that, we'll see where the chips fall. Sure. I thought that that was, that was what I felt was interesting to me from that situation. I agree. Um, I'm still waiting to hear a good reason why playing that game would legitimately benefit UC. I guess the only, the only thing like would playing BYU and, and I guess your answer is going to tell your stance on uh, the validity of playing BYU would playing an additional game against BYU give an edge to Cincinnati over say one loss Texas A&M that did not play in the SEC championship. Okay. So we're assuming UC goes 11 and 0 beats BYU have to beat them. So they're now 12, 12 and 0. Yes. You really want me to believe that this committee would go, oh, that's the reason we're going to put you guys in. We weren't going to before. You went 11-0. You won your conference. You did it convincingly, say they do. But now that you beat BYU, who beat the crap out of Western Kentucky and North Texas and South Alabama and whoever the hell else they're playing, not their fault. They had a great schedule until COVID. That's the reason we're going to get in? I do not believe that for one second. Uh, here's what I would say. I would say I think that answer is dependent upon what we find out on Monday, whatever it is, in the first release of the CFP rankings. I don't believe if UC goes 11 or no, that they would even be behind BYU. They won't be behind BYU, but what you could add is a, essentially a top 10 win to your resume when I don't fighting it, for that spot. I don't think it matters. Because, okay, at that point, you'll have known if – we'll just do this for an example. Notre Dame beats North Carolina. They go to the ACC championship game. And Clemson beats them, but it's close. Those two teams are still getting in. So your scheduling of BYU at that point is pointless. Saying Alabama and Ohio State go undefeated. Yeah, well, there's a, there's gonna be a writ. Like let's say I just don't see what the point I just don't see I don't see how beating them like if it assured you that you're in the playoff, schedule the hell out of it. Take the chance. But I'm not. I'm not interested in it. If because you know, here's the other thing, it's in Cincinnati. There ain't no way I'm playing them in Provo. Not yeah. So yeah. are they agreeing to that? And it's a one-off. This is not a home and home. You're coming here. We're playing once, and then it's done. 
like these are I'm the I'm the one <laughs> using this game as another data point to say that yes, I'm not in the power conference, but we went 12 and 0 and we should be in over this one lost power conference team. We don't like look what we did. We played 12 games. All these other teams are playing 7, 8 games. We've played you know 75% more you know more than them. Yeah. Is BYU agreeing to that? Because that's the only way this game is happening if I'm running. Now, here's the other angle that I have not heard discussed yet. How much of that is Luke Fickle just sending a message to your, to his team? Uh, if, if, if they, you know, if they want to keep score, we want to win. I mean, I think that's an everyday thing, though. I know, but how much? Like, we're I think maybe we're overanalyzing that he didn't shut the door on it completely possibly in a sense that it was nothing more than Luke being Luke and saying, look, my, my team will play anybody yeah, at any I mean, given time. He said that already, like his comment about the Tulsa game getting canceled. Yeah. And he said it last night in that answer where he's like, every time I've gone to my team, you know, we, we've got three weeks before our first game team agreed to stay in practice, you know, five days a week. Uh, we're off a week uh, due to COVID. Team agreed to come in and practice on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Like, that was the point he was making that I think is kind of being left out a little bit. And I'm sure, you know, partly my fault because I uh, was the one that put it out there, what he said in the coaches show that, you know, blew up on Twitter a little bit. Um, but I, it also, also could have... very much just be Luke being Luke, Luke being Luke and saying – we're not backing down from anything. If, if there's a chance that we play BYU, then we're going to play BYU and we're going to kick their ass. Yeah, I agree with that. I also, but I also have a little pro- a problem with just the game in general in the sense that I feel like this is almost turning into like, oh, let's have these two JV teams play each other and it can be the de facto G5 championship and then we don't have to worry about them in the playoff or whatever. Like how cute would it be for – punchy BYU and upstart Cincinnati to play each other. And then we can see who really is the best team of the crappy G5 leagues. Like you almost get that impression from some people covering the sport that like, Oh, this would just be so much fun to watch these two teams that no one gives a crap about play each other. You make a great point. And that's actually why I like scheduling the game. Because then they can't schedule it in the New Year's Six if it comes they, down to that. I don't think they would, though, because I think BYU – I think because of COVID, everything that I've seen is if things play out the way they do, as projected right now, and BYU goes undefeated and UC goes undefeated, BYU would go to the Fiesta Bowl and UC would go to the Peach Bowl. Okay. I, I think there will be a temptation – to keep those two teams away from the power five. Maybe. I mean, what better way to, to continue, you know, questioning the G five's relevance. If they don't, if they don't get a shot. What's the problem with that? (laughs) BYU is not a G five. Which one of, which one of the new year six games is going to agree to take both those teams? think no i think like i think that would be maybe the most popular new year's six bowl it might be from like a diehard college football fan watching because the vast majority of the new year's six games suck yeah but splitting them up and having them play 
two Power Five teams would generate more buzz than them than them playing each other. Because like, what the Fiesta Bowl is going to want UC and BYU to play each other? Like, they don't want that. They need an Oregon or a Georgia or a Florida. Like, they need that quote unquote blue blood brand name to get the casual fan to watch. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 going to be. I don't think. I don't think that there's. I don't think there's a chance, even a remote chance, we're going to see UC and BYU in the regular season. I, no, I, I. I just from from UC's perspective, like they're you know, knock on wood, they've been they've had the one cancellate or postponement so far, but like they're on pace to get ten regular season games in, and hopefully an eleven. In my opinion, there is it is a it is not needed. Yeah, you, that's fair. Your goal, your goal has never been make the college football playoff because it's one never been done by a, a G five team, and it probably you know in all likelihood outside of chaos isn't realistic in the current construct. Yeah. So playing this game really doesn't necessarily improve the chances of that changing. No, you're right. I agree. All right. Are we are we good? Are we ready to, to get 55 minutes in? Are we ready to get to the Knights? <laughs> yeah, let's get to the Golden Knights. So here we go. Like, uh, this is it, right? This is This is the game. This is the game we've waited for. This is the biggest game of the year. I, I don't, you know, I don't get caught up in any of the other stuff. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. UCF is the standard in this league. If you want to become the standard in this league, you have to knock them off. And you have to knock them off in the bounce house, on their turf, on their terms. And the reality is, Luke Fickle has a better team. So go win the game. I uh, totally agree with that. And I'm, I'm looking for something I should have written it down, but I believe this is the first time they are underdogs home dogs since 2017. I think that might be correct. It's been a long time, but yeah, I mean, this is again, offense versus defense, uh, top offense in the nation based on total offense. And it's not even close. Like what they're doing Regardless of who they're playing, it's still pretty damn impressive. But, um, you know, I always start these comparing S&P Plus. I feel like that's a fairly good indicator. Uh, UC is ninth overall, 25th offensively, 6th defensively. UCF is 18th overall, 7th offensively, and 51st defensively. So even as good as SMU at Memphis have been this year on offense, UCF is still quite a bit better than them. Uh, Everybody knows about Dylan Gabriel. 23 touchdowns, two interceptions, just an absurd ratio when you consider how much he throws. Uh, Has been sacked 17 times. I'm sorry, go ahead. That's the scary part, right? The interceptions. Because that's really what flipped the game in UC's favor last year in Nippert was that they were able to heat him up and they were able to turn him over. Uh, I think he had a fumble too, didn't he, in that game? 
Uh, uh, the running running back, I think. Okay. There was um, a there was a fumble though. But you were able to heat them up. You were able to turn UCF over. That kept them out of the end zone a couple times. Uh, the fact that he has cut that back to two on the season has to give you a little pause, right? In a, in an area that you uh, that UC has has decidedly had an advantage in their games this year, creating turnovers. It does. I will say the defenses that they have faced correct are flaming hot bags of poo. <laughs> Don't hold back. Tell me how you really feel. Well, let's just look at their last three games because they've won three in a row since they blew the game against Memphis. And with COVID and guys coming in and out, I've found it's kind of silly to go back and look at games, you know, end of September, beginning of October, teams can be totally different. But the last three games, Temple, Houston, Tulane. Houston has the best defense at 71st in SP+. Tulane's def- or Temple's defense is 95th, and they gave UCF all kinds of fits last week. UCF jumped out early 21-0, thanks in large part because Temple is somehow playing games with like 15 guys out because of COVID, including their starting quarterback. Their backup quarterback is terrible. Their offense is atrocious. It's 104th in S&P+. And they turned the ball over on like their first two drives at their own 20, 30-yard line, and UCF scored right away. Then UCF didn't score the entire second quarter for the first time in who knows how long. and didn't score for like 21 minutes. It was a really strange game. They jumped up like 38-3 in the third quarter and then gave up two meaningless touchdowns at the end. But in studying for this, I mean, several people talked about the different looks Temple gave them, the confusion that they caused. Like, and their defense is not good at all. You know, Houston's defense, not good. Tulane's defense, not good. So while their offense is easily the best UC has faced this year, the gap between the other offenses UC has shut down and Central Florida's is much smaller than the gap of UC's defense versus everybody else's defense. Their offensive, right. line, their offensive line has had issues, 17 sacks. Tons and tons of penalties early in the season. That seems to have corrected itself. Um, Somewhat. No, it, it really has. Like, they had 20 penalties against UCF. Four of the or against ECU, four of them were on the first four false four starts play. on the first four plays of the game. I think in like their last three or four games, they only have like three, three false starts or something like that. So it's definitely gotten better. But again, they haven't faced a defense anywhere remotely close to UC. So when you're looking at their offense, it's pointless to look at yardage numbers and everything. They put up a ton of yards. It doesn't matter. So I looked at two, two areas that UC is really good at to see how Central Florida would combat that, and that's third down and red zone. Third down, they're pretty good, 23rd, which is 48%. Um, UC is one of the best teams in the country at third down defense. The number that jumped out, though, is the red zone. They're 58th, which is not very good. Granted, against some this of these is- teams, this is where UC won the game last year. Was exactly, red zone. and there's and they're even better in the red zone this year. And the and it was interesting reading um, the athletic article 
from Chris Benini where they talk to coaches that's played one or both. And Sonny Dykes brought up how good they are against the run is why you can be a good red zone defense because you figure you get into the red zone in college, like teams are just going to get yards running the ball because nobody really stops the run and everybody runs for like at least 170 yards in college. But when you get, when you don't let teams run the ball and now you have second and long and third and long in a condensed space, you can't run the routes needed to pick up that yardage because there's just too many bodies in that area. They don't have to play 50 yards. They know that the end zone is back there. Like there's, they're not throwing it over our head on this play. So they're 58th in red zone offense, which lends itself to being a positive for UC because they're still really good at red zone defense. Which the, the, the red zone thing you talk about, it's not just corners though. It, it affects your safety depth because your safeties don't have to worry about supporting over the top. It affects your linebacker depth because you can drop them to an appropriate, you know, depth without giving up, um, without creating weakness in the run game. Well, especially with the way Central Florida's offense is. I mean, they take more shot plays than any other team in the country, and that is by a ton. And I posted this on the board. And I think this is important. Remember what UC did last year on UCF shot plays? They didn't let them catch any of them. Well, outside of that, the other thing. <laughs> no. They well, were running. They I were shuttling. Of, I had a lot of beers that game. <laughs> they were shuttling corners. So right. the guy that just got done running 70 yards down the field. Didn't have to do it out. again. He came out. And the new guy came in. And that's where UCF really, like, tries to do damage is they try to just get your guys tired. Well, yeah, because they ran 99 plays against Tulane. Yeah. And they try to just get into your legs. They try to make those guys that are having, you know, they they run a lot of guys deep that they have no intention of throwing to. And it's because they just want your corners to feel like they're playing soccer. You know what I mean? Right. Where they're just constantly 40, You just ran 30 yards, and we're going to snap the ball in 10 seconds. So you got to run back to the line and then we're going to run again and we're going to, but this time we're going to do 10 yard stop routes on you all the way down the field because all you're thinking is that this guy's just going to keep running by me. Right. So, I mean, I thought it was brilliant last year. I was, it was one of those things you're watching from the field and you see a play deep and normally you see both of those guys jogging back or running back to the line of scrimmage to get the neck. Cause UCF likes to snap it so fast. And sure enough, you would only see the UCF guy coming back and there would be a new corner standing there for UC. Like, all right, let's do this. And that like your wide receivers do get tired from doing that over and over and over again, especially if they're not putting fatigue on the guy that's guarding them snap after snap after snap. So that's interesting for me. Um, I'm interested to see. Does sauce get that treatment? Do you take sauce off the field now? Because he was actually, he was actually the guy subbing in most of the yeah. time last year. Uh, and start, doing that, he didn't really start until after after, the ECU, after ECU, right? The pick six against ECU was kind of the turning point in his career. Then it was like, all right, we can't. This is this is the dude. Like right. we got we got to play this dude. This is the guy. Do you do you give up a little bit of what you get in coverage from sauce to keep him fresh? I think so, because 
with the way that they play, as you get tired, you get grabby. And we know they're already grabby to begin with because they play press man and they like to be physical. And the, and the officials call probably more pass interference penalties on them than anybody else because they just they're, – they're, they're kind of the Rick Pitino, they're not going to call all of them type of thing. So I would think it would be beneficial to try to get him in and out when, and steal – a couple of plays here and there when you can, because they're not going to not throw at him. Like, right. So I'd rather just try to keep him as fresh as possible in certain situations when you feel like you can, because the, the, the problem is <laughs> when you run him off, you don't know necessarily when you might be able to get him back on. True. True. Like it works if it's on your sideline. Right. It doesn't work if it's all the way across the field. Then you got to run a guy all the way off. It's just not happening because they're not subbing guys out. So you just can't do it. Right. Um, But I mean, the, the thing for this game, obviously, and this is what we've talked about. I feel like on repeat is now that the offense has done what they've done the last four weeks, you really more look at UC's offense versus the opponent's defense. And Central Florida has been a, I would say, a, a little bit better than average defense. They are buoyed by leading the country in takeaways. And one element of that is 10 fumble recoveries, which is insane and also not a repeatable stat. Unfortunately, you see fumbles more than I would like to see. Yeah, but I, I'm hey, if we're talking, I like we're talking, right? They, yeah. they fumble more than I would like to see. I think that is fair. I don't think that is an unfair statement. No. Um, but not that they fumble a ridiculous amount, but they fumble more than I would like. Like the ball is on the turf more than sure. I would like to see. And I think that's where, like, when you have their offense, and if you can generate that kind of turn, that kind of turnover numbers, that I mean, that's hard. That's hard to deal with because I mean, just like we saw with the Temple game. I mean, you turn it over twice, you're down fourteen nothing, like it's nobody's yeah. business, and you're not right. You're not good enough to come back from Temple's that. Temple's not good enough to come back. No, yes, Temple. But, <laughs> you know they've got the four guys that aren't on the team anymore and they weren't a great defensive line to begin with. Um, their two best defensive players are probably Richie Grant, the safety who has three interceptions, two fumbles, force fumbles and two fumble recoveries. And then linebacker Eric Gilliard has an interception, three force fumbles and two fumble recoveries. You know, looking at their, what I would call key metrics and like, how do you stop UC? Like, what do you need to be good at to stop this UC offense, third down defense, you need to be good at because they're still going to be a running team, even with the way Des has been playing. They're 63rd in third down defense. I mean, that's pretty much middle of the pack. Red zone defense, they're 78. So if UC gets inside the 20 with Josh Wiley, the running backs, Des, that's not a good recipe to stop them. 
pass efficiency defense, they're 60th. So they're not, even with the turnovers and interceptions, they're not efficient in pass defense. And part of that might be because the other teams are behind. Right. And they're throwing a lot. So, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be efficient throwing. If they can throw it a ton and accumulate yards, but not be efficient with it. I mean, the key with it, it's it, the key with UCF is stop the splash plays, keep this, yeah. and that's why that's why UC went to the three three five, and that's why Marcus Freeman fell in love with the three three five because of the UCF game, because you could keep the splash plays in front of you, because yeah. the, a splash play. Well, this is how this is where the red zone thing comes in. A splash play of 35 yards that gets you a first down at the 40 or the 30 is much different than a splash play of 70 yards. That's a touchdown. Right. Because you can still make things happen if you stay on the field. Exactly. They were able to do it last year. Do you think there's any advantage to UCF? that they've now seen UC's three, three, five, and they've now seen a ton of three, three, five, because everybody in the conference is going to it after seeing the success UC's had with it. Um, I mean, there's always going to be a, a level of understanding. Like they had never seen it last year. So how could they not be at least a little better against it? Like it was, well, new- they had seen it. They had just not seen it from UC. Right. But I mean, Lots of like Memphis is Lots running of teams it. running three three five. Tulsa's not running it now. Yeah. Like, but no, these are new changes. Yeah. Like they basically watched what UC did last year and said, we need to run that defense to the best yeah. that we can in the conference. So them having reps against it obviously helps. But I'm not sure that the way they run their offense is built to like necessarily beat it so and and like we said uc just has way better guys doing it yeah um you can run the same defense as somebody but if all my guys are first and second team all conference and all your guys are <laughs> right not, it doesn't really matter it, you know like they can be like, oh, this guy wasn't supposed to – this guy – when we played Tulsa, this guy was not here, and he is there, you know, when they play UC, for example. What did you think um, of that breakdown by the PFF guy about the depth and, like, an actual, like, real – a real analytical breakdown of why UC is so good at the 3 3 Well, it's, I mean, it's right. The, only, the thing that concerns me with UCF is the way they run the ball – their, that their zone runs are designed to be that defense because there's just not enough people. Right. Um, so the status of Elijah Ponder could be big. I, I'm I'm going to assume that Elijah Ponder is out. Right. I know so, Luke is optimistic that, that Ponder is a tough SOB. And he will do anything possible to get on the field Saturday. But a, a compromised Elijah Ponder is not better than whoever is filling his his spot. Probably not. 
<laughs> not against the, not against it's not against that. this yeah, offense. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, last week, sure. <laughs> this week, no. Um, but the the teams are really quite even in many special teams categories. Um, they do give up 14 yards of punt return, but they've only had seven punts returned against them. <clears throat> and then punt return, there's a little bit of a gap where you see is better. But again, in college, like hardly anybody's returning punts anyway. The kickers suck too much to, <laughs> for the most part, to get actual returns in. But I don't know. I just kind of, I'm trying not to be like overly confident. I just don't know how you see all of a sudden goes from playing like they've been playing the last four weeks against, you know, pretty good, you know, pretty good teams for the conference to, you know, reverting back to say South Florida type performance. And I just don't think this UCF team is as good as last year's UCF team. And you hate Josh Heupel. I think I don't hate him. I don't know. him. (laughs) I just, don't think he's a very good coach. Um, but I mean, I don't. I think Luke and his staff is much better than Hypo's staff than him. I, the thing is, I don't think there are a whole lot of staffs in the country that are better than Luke Fickle and his staff. Right. So decided schematic advantage uh, via uh what the hell was his name from Notre Dame? Charlie Weiss decided schematic advantage Bearcats. Well, like you think Marcus is just going to roll out the same three, three, five look that they saw last no. year. No, no exactly. chance. Exactly. No chance. No chance. Um, I, I still am pretty concerned about this game. Because I just need to see it to believe it that they can go in there. I, I I will say this. I feel a lot better about it after watching the way that they handled going to SMU. Right. And made that, you know, complete. Here's the thing about this team that I think is different. And we'll see if it holds true. It's not an emotional team. No. It is a very business-like team. It I is a very go in, get the job done, get out type. Is there, is there anything to, even though Luke likes to shield his guys from the noise, or as Nick Saban likes to call it, the poison, <laughs> is there anything to them knowing, like, we're legit, like, in this thing, and we have to take care of business if we want to have a chance? Not I, I, maybe with some. I, there's maybe no, with there's some no guys. time. There's no time for emotion and and you know all the all the other stuff. Like who who do you worry about in terms of emotion? My I'm, Jay? No, not really. I mean, I mean, now, he, that, he now, that B, now that B Wright's not here anymore, I don't I don't really worry right. about anybody. I mean, my Jay, my Jay is an emotional <laughs> guy. James. But Hudson has never manifested itself in penalties or like yeah, dumb crap. He had one. It was an awesome one, but he had one. I mean, he stood over a dude that he pancaked. Yeah. Oh, I know. That's that's not like 
that's not being emotionally unstable. That's being a man. <laughs> that's a, a correction. That's not being a man. That's being the man. Right. That's a message. That was a message more than it was uh, instability. Um, Jarrell plays with emotion a little bit, but he like he's, he's been never, way better about it this year than he has in his entire career. I mean, how dumb was it that he got a penalty for throwing the ball up in the air? Dumb. Stupid. <laughs> Just like... Whatever. Um, but, like, the guys that are the leaders of this team, Derek Forrest, even Dez, like, has been pretty calm, cool, and collected over this last stretch. Now Dez we'll see if... Dez- I don't know how many people know is like the silent assassin, like crazy trash shit, talker, crazy shit talker. Oh yeah, but does it like with while he's smiling, so nobody yeah. thinks anything's going on. Oh, he he has a lot to say. He's no Josh Wiley, but he has a lot to say. Well, it's because dads can back it up. Yeah, <laughs> Josh is like the number two rated tight end I, in the I'm fucking kidding. country. He was also doing all that talking the last two years while he was hurt. Yeah. I mean, that's just Josh. He's, he's wired that way. Um, sorry, Dan. I dropped an F-bomb. It's my bad. <laughs> um, I just, this team is very, very prepared, very businesslike, very, um, let's get in, let's get the job done, let's get out. Well, like, that's that, what, that's what, like, do you think, do you, when, when was the last time they took the field and played a game and you were just like, man, they were just not, they didn't. They were not ready for this game. Was it the UCF game the last time they were played down there? Well, I think you could argue ECU. They they didn't look like they were in it. Yeah, mentally last year. But they still played well enough to win. Like I felt the UCF their game defense went, played like trash. There was just ECU. there was a stark difference in that game where it was like we're not at that level, and we thought we might have been, but. Like playing that game, I, mean, I guess Ohio know. State. Yeah, but we but we we kind of I mean, I don't think anybody it was a talent it. disparity. But that team should have that team should not have been shut out. That right. should have been they should have acquitted themselves better than that. Yes, so I guess Ohio State would be the answer. And Lucas said that was the turning point for the program because right. they looked around he, and said we're not going to let that happen again. And he kind of took like some, I know, I don't know if blame is the right word, but he, he definitely went out of his way to downplay that game. Yeah. And he admitted that that probably wasn't the right way to approach it because every game is not the same. Like the whole, we look at every team on our schedule, the same, we're just concerned about us nonsense. That's not accurate, especially with college kids. Like you can get away with that in the NFL. Like, College kids know this is a bigger game than last week. So right. don't try to sell them on that this is just another game. No, they know. I mean, it's 3.30. It's big-time spot. ESPN, 3.30 game is always a big-time game. Um, I mean, how, how do you feel about the outcome? We're, we're getting long in the tooth here. We're, we're about to 90. I mean, I, I said they were going eleven and zero. I, okay, I asked. I asked the BBP guys earlier this week. UCF touchdowns. If 
I set the over under at 3.5, what are you taking? Uh, under. Do you think they get two? Do you think they get three? I don't have to nail it. I'm just taking the under. Well, I'm asked. I'm curious what you're like. Uh, what your... well, they had two last year. Um, they had the long, long touchdown at the end of Trey Nixon. Yeah, they scored twenty four. So twenty one, a field goal, or did they? I they went they for two. It. No, they they had to go for two at the end to make it a three point <clears throat> game, right? Yeah, so they so did they a lot. Mean, they had a lot of field goals. Right. They had six trips to the red zone, red zone, and only scored one touchdown. Right. So two touchdowns in a raucous, uh, frenzied Nippert Stadium. Right. I mean, ECU scored two touchdowns. I don't think they're that much better than ECU. So, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I just think I would say three, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was two. Like. They're not getting to 30 again. That's the thing. It, you just, it, the way this defense is played, can you really feel comfortable saying a team is going to put 30 on this Bearcats defense? The only way they're getting to 30 is if we're dropping turnovers. Cover, yeah. If we're having turnovers and they're having short fields or they're hitting 50, 60 yard touchdown passes. With great coverage because there's going to be great coverage. They're not going. 30 on what for even for them would be long drives. Yeah. For them, a long drive is what? Eight plays, three, four minutes. Yeah. Eight plays, four minutes. That's a long drive for them. Right. All right. All right. You got anything else? Anything else you want to, you want to touch on? Uh, As we're doing this, Huge night for our guy Mo Egger as Obi Toppin drops right into to Nick's lap. So we know we know he's happy. I, I sent him a kind of a joking tweet a little bit ago saying that I feel terrible for him because it's so close, yet he knows it's so far. And, and it uh, happened. And it happened. So maybe that's a good omen for Saturday as well. <laughs> yeah, anything anything good Nick's related is uh critical for Mo hasn't hasn't been a lot of that over the years (laughs) no um basketball is supposed to start next week are we playing anybody uh basketball's uh, December 2nd is when my my feeling on basketball okay I mean I guess once I I learned I should say allowed to start once I learned that they were allowed to to sneak in a scrimmage after the start of the official season they're playing a script. Like John Brandon wants to see his team before against somebody else. Oh, sure. You're not just going in blind. Um, I just, I can't see any possible way he doesn't get a look at his team before uh, opening night. And the only way to do that is to play a scrimmage as opposed to playing an MTE. I think at this point, with so much uncertainty, so much unknown, he would trade an MTE for getting a chance to see his team before December 2nd. 
so December 2nd, Lipscomb, I think, is going to be opening night. That's my that's my read on the situation. So we'll see. Um, we're going to have to figure out. I think I've got I'm in for Mo next Wednesday. So I don't know if you want to maybe we do Tuesday night for a pod next week. Whatever we need. And then at some point, me, you, Brent, and Aaron are going to do like a uh, a crossover roundtable on basketball season. Okay. We got to figure out a time to work that in before December. Going to make 2nd. me talk about something I have literally dedicated zero minutes into research. Well, that's why. That's why I'm telling you now. <laughs> and I, knowing you, you're opinionated enough that you can react to what the rest of us are saying. Sure. Like. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be asked to be like the, the sidekick. On that, on that pod, you're gonna be a part of a roundtable. All right. Your responsibilities are not as uh, not as tenuous, and I I get a feeling at like those guys get mad when I jump in on the BBP. Like Aaron, get, you can. They get like mad that you, are, are like talking. Yeah, they they get they want their airtime. Oh Both my the, god! I mean, I'm, this thing will be this will be great for me. Then I can like jump in every couple, you know, five minutes with five words and yeah. Those guys want that, like you know, Brent. Brent writes five thousand word articles, and Aaron's not too far behind. Like those guys, those guys want their airtime. Aaron, <laughs> legitimately, if I jump in, and you can't see this because uh, we just do the audio, but Dave will get to see it, and Aaron knows it's true because I've I've joked with them about it before. When I jump into their conversation, this is the look I get from Aaron right here. Come on, Dad. Yeah. Stop listening that's, to my phone calls. Right. That's exactly – that is – you nailed it. Dad, I'm on the phone. That is exactly it. And it cracks me up. But I love it because those, like, those guys are passionate. They want to – they want they've got their pod. Their pod has been very successful, by the way. Numbers are great. For the BBP, so thanks to all you guys for listening. Are they, are they better than uh, ours? Uh, no, they're not. Okay, they haven't they haven't surpassed us yet, but they're not like. I was going to say, if they did, we need to. We'll have to make some some halftime adjustments. There's a a really successful pod in town that you can ask them anything, and the BBP is is putting up better numbers than that pod. If you know what I'm there saying. There we go. So those guys are doing great. But we're gonna we're gonna get a little roundtable action before the basketball season gets started. Uh, it's just gonna be a week later than than people thought. I think we'll see. Well, officially a week later. The problem being, if they scrimmage the team, I think they're gonna scrimmage. Past history shows there will be zero information on the interwebs about that scrimmage. We're talking about the aviators from the north. Yeah, I possibly. I don't. I don't. You know, I can't. I can neither confirm nor deny. But in reading the tea leaves, that would make a lot of sense. The aviators from the north are without a uh, MTE, and it just so happens that those two guys that head coach those two teams are uh, pretty good friends. So, I. That's a hunch. It's a hunch. It's not. It's not confirmation, but it's a hunch. Um, oh, 
Jawan Briggs. I, that one, I would, I think it would be beneficial for UC if they could, they could land Jawan Briggs oh, transfer. You do. You do. You think transfer. That would, you think that would be beneficial? Yeah. Uh, here's that's why. What, that's what the members are paying for. That. That's what the member. I think that would be a. I think that would be a good move to add to uh, the 2021 version of the Bearcats. Good, and if good I know. was good to know, I was, if I was in charge, you know what I would sell Jawan Briggs. I would uh, sell Jawan Briggs, Elijah know. Ponder. And I would say, you want to prove that you're more than just a, a nose or a three technique. How about you come here and you be our boundary edge where we just graduated a guy that graded out as the number one boundary edge in the country. Yeah. And I think I think that would be a good spot for Jawan Briggs. I, I, I as I posted, I, I don't know where that is going to exactly go, but I can assure you Cincinnati is trying. <laughs> That's one when that name hit the market first, everybody had the same reaction that all of us did. What kids that are starting and are second on the team in sacks and making plays from the defensive tackle position that were top 100 recruits. He, he finished as the number 75 recruit in the country. Those kids don't enter the portal very often. Bronco Mendenhall said it was like the first starter he's ever had. Those kids don't enter the portal very often. Which so part of, part of me worries there's something I'm, going I'm, on behind I'm, this. I'm saying this without any information. But like you said, okay, why are you transferring then? Yeah. Like, it's not playing time. It's not production. You're a super smart kid. Virginia's a super smart school. Right. You just don't like Charlottesville and you'd rather move back to Clifton or whatever place? Generally, and this is different because Juwan is a different kid. Like, he's not somebody who would, like, with handlers and, you know, uh, backroom intermediaries handling his decision-making process. I think he's going to be pretty prominent in his decision-making process. But when a kid like that enters the transfer portal, your general first thought is something's already lined up, right? I have not gotten, I have not gotten any indication that is the case, but that's where my brain goes from 15 years in this business. Now, I know he talked to Freeman last night. He's set to talk with the coaching staff tonight, uh, as probably as we were recording this podcast, this really long podcast. We've, we've gone from hour-long episodes to now you just kind of assume they're going to be like at least an hour 20 uh, and maybe an hour 40 like this one. <laughs> but um, I heard the conversation was, was well-received. The interest was well-received yesterday. And uh, if I hear anything about the the Zoom call with Luke Fickle, Greg Scruggs, Marcus Freeman, and Jawan Briggs um, tonight or tomorrow, I will be sure to put whatever info I can about that on the message board. Um, I think it would be a good get. I do. I know that's the type of info that you guys pay for <laughs> on a free podcast. That's why I can give that type of info on a podcast because the podcast is free. All right, Dave's checked out. He's looking at his phone. Um, you gotta go to bed. You gotta get up in yeah, d- four hours and thirty minutes. Did I take up your thirty minutes of watching the draft? Is that did I screw that up? No, I'm usually 
I'm usually asleep by this point. So all right, well, go get some sleep, sweetheart. All right. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. 3:30 Saturday. Holy Grail. Get there. Watch the game. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.